Hello and welcome everyone. This is Rona Palmer from the Fluke Reliability Team. And thanks so much for joining us for today's Best Practices webinar. And as you likely know, we offer quite a wide variety of webinars and educational events at Fluke Reliability. But in our Best Practices webinar series, we focus more on maintenance strategies and tactics that help you drive performance. And we invite different guest speakers from a variety of backgrounds to share their expertise. And today I'm really so pleased to have with us John Burnett, who is an application and product specialist at Fluke and our resident vibration expert. And he's going to be presenting today's topic using root cause analysis and failure modes to build a total condition maintenance strategy for motor and drive systems. And for those of you that don't know John, he's been in this field of preventative and predictive maintenance for over 30 years, the last 10 of which is with Fluke. He's also a CMRP, has um, a background in the Navy, and also, as we mentioned, has quite a, a few certifications in thermography and vibration. Well, good morning, John, and welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you, Verona. And John, just while we're giving, uh, we have a very large group today, by the way, and this was a topic that um, has often been requested, and. We really do appreciate you putting it together and maybe you can share a little background John and you've been in this industry so long and why do we think we're hearing so much about this particular topic of late and what trends are you seeing that make this so important? Yeah thanks so uh, over the past few years there's been a focus uh, to drive down maintenance costs and unplanned downtime and not just by big corporations, but also from uh, small and medium-sized companies in all industries. Um, and then since COVID hit and the changes to the global economy, almost all companies are looking closely at ways to not only work remotely, but ways to reduce costs. Teams are finding that there's a real competitive advantage from having a strong reliability program. Uh, and it's also no longer okay to consider high maintenance cost as just another part of doing maintenance. Interesting. Well, uh, I really look forward to seeing what you put together, John. And a few quick things before I uh, turn, turn the presentation over to John, but I did want to let you know that we're recording today's session, so the phone lines will be muted to minimize background noise. But John has agreed to take questions from listeners throughout today's presentation. So please just use the questions feature in GoToWebinar and you can submit your questions or comments at any time and I'll read them to John as soon as it's appropriate. If you'd like to receive a copy of the slides from today's presentation, please let us know during a brief survey that will appear at the end of the session. Uh, we'll also be sharing um, a copy of the recording with you via email in the upcoming days. And again, as we mentioned, this topic came about from feedback from you, our listeners. So you will get an opportunity to not only give us feedback at the end, but also suggest additional topics that you'd like us to present. All right. Well, that's it for the housekeeping, John. And I know they came to hear you and not me. So let me turn that <laughs> things over to you. Okay. okay, thanks, Rona. So what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, 40 minutes or so, and then we'll open up the questions uh, um, at the end, um, is um, five topics. You know, first, we're going to talk about root cause analysis, because what I found over the years, and I've lived and I've seen this, believe me, uh, in my uh, over 30 years of doing maintenance, is that it seems like uh, you know we just fix things and then fix them again and fix them again. So we've got to find a way to get out of that vicious cycle. We're going to talk a little bit about expected failure modes and talk uh, the the question we get asked all the time is which tools and technologies do I start with? And there is no black and white answer. It depends. And so you're going to hear me talk about it depends. And 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 uh, that means that. 
um, let's look at 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 why there are uh, why there isn't a black and white answer for that, and also for asset criticality. You know, a lot of people ask, uh, you know, about you know, I've got different assets. Uh, which ones, uh, you know, by criticality should I start with? And again, it depends, you know, and a lot of it depends on uh, if you're if you're uh, predictive or troubleshooting. And, and so we're gonna talk about those kind of things. Uh, we're also gonna then look a little bit into some simple steps of total condition maintenance. And what we mean by that is, is, is how can we simplify not only uh, uh, maintenance, but also reliability and connected reliability, you know? So how can we make this easy? Um, um, and then uh, finally, we're going to wrap it up with why do teams struggle to start reliability programs? You know, I've been working with customers for 30 years now, and I can I can tell you that a lot of companies have tried and failed, but we've learned that some have exceeded. So let's let's learn from those who have succeeded, and we're going to talk about that. Okay, so let's get rolling. So uh, root cause analysis, and so. A lot of times talking to customers, um, what I hear time and time and time again, and I live this because I started my career in the Navy and I was a maintenance supervisor in the engine room of, a, of, a, of two ships. Um, and I lived this same problem. And, you know, we kept replacing bearings and seals and couplings and belts. And it wasn't, uh, you know, Actually, that wasn't the problem, you know, because if you start looking into it, studies have shown that 50% of damage to rotating machines is from misalignment and imbalance and other faults. And most teams just replace the bearings and seals because alignment is too difficult. But the problem is we're never going to get out of this maintenance cycle. So what we're recommending as a best practice is once you diagnose the fault on a machine using a vibration tester, don't just fix the imbalance and misalignment. I mean, sorry, don't just fix the bearings and the seals and the couplings and the belts. You know, you need to align the machines. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that in that we need to find the root cause. And, and a personal example for me is that as an electrician, we would replace the motor bearings and and the mechanics replaced the pumps and seals, we slap it together, and then a few months, again, the bearings and seals would go. Once we started aligning and balancing machines, bearings would last for years and years and years. And so that's one thing I want to start off with is, you know, let's find the problem and fix the problem, or we're going to always be fixing bearings and seals. All right. One more example is when you talk to maintenance teams, they're going to say one of their biggest application problem is an air compressor. But the problem is it's not the air compressor because in almost every facility, air compressors are very critical to some part of the operation. And maintenance teams spend way too much time fixing air compressors when it isn't the air compressor that's the problem, it's the air leaks. And once they fix the air leaks, their compressor problem goes away. So again, instead of fixing the symptom, we need to find the problem and fix the problem. And we can use either acoustic imagers like you see on the left, or this ultrasonic tester as you see on the right. And here's a quote that we got from a customer who basically said that they were running their compressor 24 seven. And then once they fixed the air leaks, um, they no longer had to do it. And so we've seen time and time again, where if you fix the root cause, then the problems seem to go away. Okay, so that's just a way to kind of get things going is, let's talk about root cause. The second thing we want to talk about is failure modes. Now, why is failure modes important? Well, what we find out is when customers ask us what tools to start with, they typically just figure it doesn't matter and they just start measuring machines. But what they don't realize is they don't really understand what their problems are. Because if you think about it, there isn't, if we look at this motor pump over on the right, 
we can't just focus on the motor pump. We got to think about everything in this complete train. We need to think about our problem holistically, power in and work out. So if you think about it, we also need to look at the electrical input, the power quality. We need to think about motor testing. We need to think about insulation testing. We also need to think about maybe using thermography as a method to be able to look for bad electrical faults, overheated bearings and tank levels. And then finally looking at mechanical. And when you're looking at mechanical, we're looking at the imbalance, looseness, misalignment and bearings. And so you notice that each one of these examples down at the bottom, we're looking at the failure modes and the failure modes is what determines what tool and what technology we should use. So let's talk a little bit more about expected failure modes. So one exercise that we do at Fluke Reliability in our service group is that we help customers come up with an expected failure mode. And this is, this is a simple process. There's nothing complicated about this. We start off by writing down all the types, all, all your machines, and we write down what types of failures do we commonly see with each group of machines? Mechanical failures, process failures, electrical failures. And that's what we see here in column A is all the expected failure modes that we're gonna see from our machines. And then we're gonna write down which technologies are best. And remember, this is about best practices. Yes, we can use thermography to find um, hot temperature and bearings and couplings and belts, but vibration is gonna be able to find it earlier. And sometimes ultrasound can find it uh, early as well. So what we're saying here is, let's not just use one technology or one tool to try to do everything. Let's use the best technology to find the, the problem as early as we can. And then finally, in this expected failure mode exercise, we talk about the correction. So you can see here in this sheet is the failure modes for each of our machines, then what are some of the technologies we can use to monitor and, and diagnose those problems, and then finally, what to do to fix them. Again, we're showing this kind of fast, but we're, we can help you if you need that help. And there's a lot of people out there can, that can do a lot of work. So let's talk a little bit about some of these expected failures, how we can find them and how we can fix them. So remember, I talked about this. The best practices isn't to just use one tool and try to do everything because that never works. What's the old saying? If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, in the real world, we need to think about what is our problem, what are our failures, and then match the right tool and the right technology to find that. And often, we need to combine technologies. So that's what I'm gonna show you here is, there are actually five main groups of predictive technologies one is oil analysis that's gonna look for problems that's in the oil system, which, will, which can tell us quite a bit about the condition of the machine. Vibration analysis is, is, one of, is the best technology for looking for mechanical faults, imbalance, misalignment, roller bearings, looseness, and there's a lot of others. I mean, at last count, I think there was five or 6,000 different faults we can find with vibration analysis. In addition, motor testing. So again, we wanna think about the entire machine train and motor testing. There are electrical tests and de-energized tests, ways to find out is the motor good or is the motor having a, could it fail on us? And then ultrasound, early warning of bearing wear, early warning of lubrication problems, also, it can help us find steam leaks, like we talked about the air compressor. It can also help us with electrical pro safety problems, steam tap problems. So you can see there isn't just one tool that does everything. And then finally, thermography, you know? So 
what I, what we're going to show you here in, in uh, some other slides is is how you can use some of these technologies to support others. There's a lot of overlap, and then there's best practices on which one is going to be the best. So let's go through each of these quickly. So first, electrical measurements, okay? And again, that's for looking for the incoming, the quality of the incoming power. That's looking at your main disconnects. That's looking at problems in your motors and drives. And it's also for looking for insulation and motor problems um, that are electrical. So there's a lot of different electrical. I'm not gonna get into these because we could spend several sessions on just electrical problems. Next, there are thermal measurements that we can take. And most of you are probably familiar with this. A lot of people start with this as one of their first tools. Why? Because it's relatively easy and it's a good screening tool. We can look for electrical problems. We can look for mechanical problems. It's a very good tool to start looking for and screening for some potential issues. And then mechanical measurements, vibration analysis. This is one of the one of the, the big ones that we start with, and this is one that I've been doing for many, many years. Why? Because this gets to the real root cause of the problem. You know, I keep replacing bearings and seals, but what is the real problem? Imbalance can, I mean, uh, vibration can show us that. We can find out that the root cause may be imbalance and misalignment. Uh, and until we fix those, we're never going to really get the problem correct. Okay, Rona, I think we're ready for a poll question. Yes, thanks. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and launch our first poll. And we just like to kind of poll our listeners and see which of these measurements do you currently use in your facility to assess machine health? All right, and this will just help John understand um, the background and what's currently in place on those of us that are in the audience today. So are you using thermal, vibration, oil analysis, ultrasound, or perhaps some other measuring device? All right, it looks like we have about two thirds of the polls filled in. So we'll give people a few more moments to weigh in. And again, this is only shared in aggregate, so no wrong answers here just kind of help us benchmark and understand who's on the line with us today and what the background is. All right, about three quarters in, we'll leave it open a few more seconds. All right, let's go ahead and uh, share the results. So John, it looks like 80% of our listeners are using thermal and infrared 77 vibration, 66 oil analysis, 40 ultrasound, and 24% say they employ some other measurement. Interesting. All right, back to you, John. Good. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, those numbers are uh, pretty much exactly what we we hear from other uh, uh, groups and other companies uh, uh, because. Uh, Yes, thermography and vibration, um, I would call those the, the big one-two punch. You know, almost everybody has, uh, has started using those. Thermography, uh, well, let's, let's dig into those a little deeper. I, I, uh, I completely see that, and I, uh, I, uh, um, that uh, runs in line with what we've seen. So let's talk a little bit about um, how we can use those two technologies and also how we can maybe use some of the others. Okay, great. So let's let's move on. That's super. Um, let me see if I can get things to advance. Okay, so let's we talked a little bit at the beginning about asset criticality. And so asset criticality, you know, a, a lot of people have this 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 uh, this myth or misconception that they have no time for reliability because they're already 100% busy. And a lot of customers have this dilemma, which we call the criticality dilemma. You know, how do you monitor all of your critical assets with limited resources? How do you balance 
your time and, and, and resources between all of your, your assets. Well, the healthcare industry has this same issue, this same dilemma. You know, you have millions of customers, millions of patients and not enough doctors or specialists. So what they've found to be very effective is a tiered approach where you can see that nurses handle uh, the screening and wellness checks before they involve a tech uh, physician. And if they can take care of it, you don't need to see the doctor, well, then that's great. And then when you go see a doctor, the general practice doctor can diagnose the most common problems for you know, you know, 90% of the people and 90% of the problems are gonna be some standard problems that the, that the general practice doctor can take care of. But then if it gets something that they can't handle, they can bump it up to the specialist. And so that's kind of what we're, we're suggesting to do in the maintenance world. Why are we trying to cover all of these critical machines when we don't have enough time and resources? So what we wanna look at is why don't we use a tiered approach in condition monitoring of our machines? Because we don't want to waste time uh, analyzing healthy machines. We don't wanna deploy our experts on simple faults. So sometimes we need to get tools um, that need a deeper look. And sometimes we just need to know is the machine good or bad? So. That's what we're gonna talk about is how can we try to use our limited resources to try to do the most coverage in a plant. And so uh, that's what we're gonna talk about. Um, so before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how does this apply this, this kind of a tiered approach and also this multi-technology approach. You know, different assets are gonna use different types of, of, uh, of technologies. So if you think about it, your screening tools that we, we talked about earlier, this is, this is your nurse, okay? Your nurse for machines would be things like thermal imagers, vibration meters, vibration sensors. They're gonna be looking at simple trends and they're really looking for changes. If you think about it, when you go see the nurse and the nurse takes your blood pressure, pulse, and temperature, those are quick and easy things that we can do a comparison to say, hey, look, these numbers look okay. You may not need to see the doctor. Then if we bump it up a little higher, we go to troubleshooting tools, okay? And they're like electrical scopes, digital multimeters, insulation testers, now we're starting to troubleshoot for potential causes, but this is a little bit more advanced. And so we, uh, we're gonna be using these tools that take a little bit more training, a little bit more expertise. And then finally, when we look at the condition of our machines, we're gonna use condition monitoring or predictive tools like vibration testers and analyzers and vibration sensors and corrective tools, because now we want to look at not just is the machine good or bad, uh, we wanna look at root cause. We wanna look at how what is the problem and we need to make a recommendation. So just like your doctor diagnoses, not just what is the problem, but how bad is the problem and what do we do to fix it? Now we have, uh, a lot of teams over the years who have taken their predictive tools and they've kind of fallen back and use it not in a predictive mode, but more as a troubleshooting tool. And why is that? Well, we're, you're gonna find out, and we've all seen this for many, many years, the most common problem that everybody has, I don't care what your industry is, it's a lack of time and resources. And so that's what we've got to try to find out. And that's what this criticality dilemma is trying to, to, to illustrate is we, we, we don't have enough time and it's only getting worse every single day. Okay, so you heard me talk a little bit about you know vibration and why do we start with vibration? So a lot of you are already using vibration and thermography 
And why do a lot of people start with vibration? Well, that's because when you're looking for mechanical faults, thermography is very useful in finding hot bearings. But if we want to be able to find out what is the root cause, then we need to start using something like vibration analysis. And vibration analysis allows us to find the root cause of the fault, how bad is the fault, and what we've got to do to fix it. So again, we're not saying don't use one tool. We're saying you may need to use multiple tools and you may need some help in your process and in your identifying these tools and Fluke Reliability is here to help you out on that. Okay, and then when we start looking at rotating machines, and I've already brought this up, it's both electrical and mechanical faults. So when you look at the inside of the cutaway of the motor, you can see that it's a combination. It's electrical, and you see that we also have electrical coming in, but we also have mechanical faults. And so if you think about it, the motor has mechanical because it has a rotating shaft, and so do uh, our other drive units, the belts, the gears, the pumps, the fans, the compressors, blowers, they all have mechanical faults. And so that's why we're gonna talk a little bit more and a little bit more detail about using vibration uh, to be able to, 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 uh, to look at these mechanical faults. So that kind of is our segue into total condition maintenance, you know. It, uh, how do we take what we've learned so far in using a tiered approach and looking at mechanical and electrical faults, how can we start using this in a plant? And so here's a good example that I like to use that kind of shows from the left to the right how you can use screening tools, diagnostic tools, and corrective tools in a step-by-step -step process. And by using these tools that have simplified the process, we fully automated these so that the most common faults, imbalance, misalignment, looseness, and bearings can be found without having to go through years and years of advanced training. So if you look over on the left, you can see that a stroboscope is a good tool for screening out hundreds of potential problems. And you can then generate a work order to, uh, to send out somebody with a vibration meter. So you see that vibration meter is a good way. Think of that like your entry level, that's your nurse looking for problems. If you have a lot of machines that are inaccessible, that are up high in dangerous areas, or you just don't have the labor or the resources to have somebody walk around with a route, then down at the bottom left, you can see these wireless sensors that are coming on the market now are very advanced and can do things that we could never do 20, 30 years ago. And so you don't have to just pick one of these. You could have multiple different screening tools along with thermal cameras, along with other types of tools to screen out your problems. Okay, once you've screened out and you know that, hey, 80% of my machines are good, I don't have to do anything with them, but the 20%, what do, I, what do I do to fix those? Then you bring in something like a vibration tester. And again, I'll show you that we have some wireless versions of this as well. But the vibration tester is going to tell us not just that this machine is good or bad, but what is the fault, misalignment, imbalance, bearings, or looseness, how bad is the fault, and what, when and what do we need to fix. Then the next step is, once we know we have some serious misalignment, we need to fix that misalignment. And nowadays, the, the alignment tools are quick and easy. And so let's go through and show you this process of how we can screen, diagnose, correct, and then finally verify to make sure you've corrected it before you put the machine back in service. Okay, so let's show you that. So first screening. So we can screen out our machines. And if you look over in the upper right, 
just like a, um, a nurse has taken three measurements, with these screening tools, we're gonna take three measurements. We're gonna take uh, vibration data, we're gonna take high frequency vibration data, and we're gonna take temperature. So these tools can either be portable tools or they can be wireless tools. And you can see here in the middle, we're gonna trend these simple numbers over time. And by using ISO levels and machine and information that we've learned from doing this for 30, 40, 50 years, we know what's good and what's bad for a typical standard machine. We know whether it's green or yellow, leave it alone, or orange or red, and now it's time to do further testing. And then finally, we can share this information and put it up on web-based programs so that everybody in your team can see this information. So now that we know we have a problem, we need to diagnose the problem. So there are some ways we can do this. I, I, I'm a vibration analyst and for many, many years, I've been taught to look at the vibration data and look at the vibration peaks, look at the patterns, and then be able to diagnose the fault. Well, because we've learned this over doing this for 30 or 40 years, we know what these patterns are and we can put these patterns into our software. So we can use portable tools and wireless tools that knows these patterns. It knows to look at a certain frequency to find imbalance, to look at a certain frequency for misalignment. So we can screen out the most common problems and make it easier for the analyst or a technician to be able to find out what the problem is. So once we know what the problem is, like we talked about earlier, we now need to fix it. Don't just ignore misalignment. Today's alignment tools are, are, are pretty straightforward. They're pretty simple. They're easy to use and quick and easy, precise alignment on most of your machines, not just a few. So instead of just do aligning the most critical machines, today's tools are easy enough to use. And believe me, I've learned this when I was in the Navy that if you don't align a machine, you're just gonna keep replacing the bearings and seals and just eyeballing it is not good enough. So you can see this tool uh, in a very short amount of time after every time you take a machine down and do a repair or do an overhaul, do a, a quick laser shaft alignment. All you have to do is add shims, move the feet. This tool is gonna walk you through step-by-step step, and you can correct the misalignment, easy to do. Okay, now that we've kind of talked about this process, let's come to the kind of a difficult question and that is, what tools should I use and which are best for me? And again, it depends. It depends on your, your type of application. It depends on the criticality of your machines. It depends on your company processes and the way that you handle things. So there is no one size fits all. There is no black and white. And so we need to look at which of your machines are best served by handheld tools and which ones are best served by either wired or wireless sensors. It depends on the criticality of your machines. It depends on what type of information you need. For example, a wired uh, sensor is gonna be able to let us get a lot of high resolution data continuously. So if you have a production critical machine that it's paramount that you get all the data you possibly can, then a wired system may be the way to do it, okay? But that's gonna be a little, little more costly. If we move down, you have your, your balance of plant machines that are still very critical, but may not require a wired sensor we now have these high resolution wireless sensors that we would be able to, um, to use in the other applications. 
And if you're wanting to uh, screen out hundreds of machines, we have these screening tools that are, so again, each one of these levels, as we move our way down, requires less data, less continuous data. And so when you get down to a screening sensor, we're not, we don't need continuous high resolution data anymore. A simple overall vibration like a pulse or temperature, and that takes much less bandwidth and is much easier to transmit. Okay, so, uh, and then I'm not saying that we need to get rid of portable tools uh, because, you know, we can't outfit all the machines in our plant because there just isn't enough uh, you know, time or resources. So in most plants, it's gonna take a mix and match of portable tools, vibration, thermography, uh, um, ultrasound. That's why you may need to have somebody come in and give you a hand. Okay, so to kind of put this in perspective, this is this is my way of looking at a plant because when you think about it, um, there are hundreds or maybe even thousands of machines in your plant. And the first step we need to do to be able to get control of where do I start? Because what most customers do is they start from the top and then they quickly run out of resources. So if we look at that, we can see that when you look at a machine pyramid of a typical plant, when you start at the top, you see that, you know, there's only the top 10% of your machines. And usually we already have experts watching those machines. There's already tons of resources spent looking at those few machines at the top. If you look at this pyramid at the bottom of the pyramid, about 30% of the machines in a typical plant, again, you know, it depends on your plant, are gonna be I wouldn't say, you know, uh, they're, they're not critical. And these machines, you know, aren't gonna impact your bottom line. And so we don't need to spend a lot of time here. So what that means in, what I've seen in most plants, in most industries, is there's this 60% in the middle. These middle tier machines, they're critical, they're important, they're not being monitored by the experts because they're not production critical, but we can't let them go like the bottom 30%. This middle 60% is what we need to worry about because that's where maintenance teams are having their, their, their pain points. So again, for that middle 60%, we need to use a tiered approach to be able to be able to manage because we don't have the resources. We already know we don't have the resources. So how can we use limited resources to get this middle 60%? And that's by, again, using your wired and expert tools only on the, the, the applications that need it. Then use your screening tools, either wired or wireless or remote, uh, sorry, wireless or portable, and your analysis tools, both wireless and portable, to be able to monitor in a tiered approach. Okay, I've thrown a lot of stuff at you. Let's finish this up with one last thing, and that is, how do you build a reliability program? Well, why have teams struggled? Now, if you think about it, over the past 30 years, there have been remarkable advancements done in predictive maintenance tools. And we have some of the best tools and programs on the market. So why are companies still struggling in reactive mode? Why are they still not getting into condition-based maintenance? And the problem isn't the tools, the problem isn't the training, it isn't the software, it's the same problem we've always had and that's time and resources. And so you've probably seen this before or heard this before, how do we build a program where we're already 100% busy, we don't have time to collect reports, how do we make decisions when we don't have enough information, we, don't, we can't do the routes we need to do, we're not getting enough information, how do we monitor critical assets when we just don't have enough resources? Well, we've already talked about that. 
how have some teams succeeded? And there's four things that we've learned from successful customers. Number one is start small and grow. Don't try to do the entire plant at once. It will never happen. Select the right tools, get answers, not just data, and share with your entire team. So be smart about the way you start up your program. Start a pilot program, get buy-in, get success, get everybody on board, then grow your program. The only way to get a sustainable program is to start small and grow. Get yourself a good plan, evaluate your plan. Every plant is different, but guess what? The failure modes are probably the same. So do a criticality analysis, do a failure mode analysis. Look at your risk, look at your needs. Look Then look at your resources and your, your, your goals. Make yourself a plan, but you're gonna need some help. And the number one problem after customers starting too big and failing is they don't, they try to do it alone. You can't do it alone. You need to have some help. Get some help from some people, internal help and external help. So that brings up the last point I'm gonna share with you. And that is why we, you need to talk to Fluke Reliability. Fluke reliability, what do we do? We simplify connected reliability solutions for people who keep the world up and running. That's you guys. You need to be able to get your plant up and running. The problem is there's a lot of obstacles in the way going from, from, from point A to point B. Getting from your goals of what you wanna do and getting to a point where you're starting to save money and this program is working, there's a lot of steps and there's a lot of obstacles in the way. That's why you need to partner with somebody that knows how to get you past those obstacles, all right? This will help you to be able to do a successful startup, a successful implementation, and sustain it over the years. Because we've learned from companies who have failed we have learned from companies who have succeeded and we can help guide you on your journey to improve reliability. Okay, last slide. What does this mean? What we've learned from companies that have succeeded is there are three pillars to a successful program. Number one is don't start too big because then the program will be canceled before it even gets off the ground. The solution, start small, show some success, get buy-in, get grow it, get funding, and that starts by doing a criticality assessment. Find out which machines really impact your plant. Many of you know which machines are critical, but after you've done an assessment, you're gonna learn a lot of things. Second step, that's what we've kind of talked about here today. Don't just use one tool to measure everything. If you do, you're gonna find you're missing a lot of things. So match the right tool to your failure modes. These are all simple exercises. The criticality exercise, it's simple. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. This expected failure mode, again, a simple spreadsheet. It just helps you to be able to plan for success. And then finally, data management. After you have all this data coming in from these different technologies, the most common problem is data overload. Why? Because all you're getting is a bunch of numbers. So again, do an assessment to find out, am I getting answers from this? And are the answers getting to the right person? So these are things that Fluke Reliability can help you do to do these simple exercises to be able to find out how to build a plan and how to get your going. But again, let me, let me say this one more time. The best way to start a program is by starting small and showing some success and getting buy-in and then um, growing it over time. This is the way you can mature a program. This is a way that you can be successful over many years 
And one last thing, let me leave you with reliability is um, a journey. It's not a destination. So it's not something you get to, hey, we've got a reliability program. Now we can stop. Don't ever, ever, ever stop because once you stop documenting saves, then somebody's going to come along and say, let's get rid of this reliability program because they're not making us any money. You're saving thousands of dollars, so you need to keep proving that you're saving that. Okay, I've rambled on for 40 minutes, so now it's time to take questions. All right, thank you so much, John. Um, and yes, to our listeners, please continue to type in your questions. Um, and I'll be happy to read them to John. And But to kind of kick things off, you've spoken, John, about a pilot and, you know, about how uh, companies often don't get started because it's overwhelming. And I, I would like to just, as the questions are coming in, launch a brief poll here and ask our listeners, what is your biggest blocker to starting, say, vibration monitoring at your facility, as an example? or any type of um, condition-based monitoring program. Is it really the lack of leadership? Is it the culture? Is it lack of resource, time, and money that John alluded to? Is it some other problem? Or perhaps you have no blockers. And then maybe, John, you can uh, help um, people by speaking to you know how, how some companies have overcome some of these challenges. All right, let's just go through and share results and have you weigh in on this. Lack of leadership buy-in is maybe 13%. The, the team culture, 17%, say that's a blocker. 41%, John, and this aligns with what you were saying, say it's a lack of resource, time, and money. And 28% say they have no blockers. Um, any surprises there, John? Or oh, John, I think you're muted. John, I'm not sure we're able to hear you. You seem to be you're not coming through. Maybe you want to take your camera off and then oh, see. There if we go. Can... Oh, there yep. you are. Okay, great. Thanks. Yep. yep. Here, here I am. So yeah, I probably need to turn off my uh, my camera because. Um, I don't have enough. My internet is slowing down. So let me turn that off again. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. You know, we need to have, you know, company buy-in and, and company culture. Um, but but often, and the good news is more and more companies um, are seeing this need. But, but one thing that I've learned over the years is that um, a lot of times when you when you try to start at the top and it's something that the CEO mandates, um, it's almost hard to get going because then then you have such a big thing that it never happens. And 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 it never, you know, and, and I've gone in and done training for customers and then come back Monday morning. Um, they don't use anything that we've started using because they we we haven't fixed the problem and the problem is the resources and so that's why again um i i think that the reason that, that a lot of people have troubles getting started um is that they're already doing so many repairs it's almost like the firefighter mentality you know if you go into the plant monday morning and the whole place is falling apart and and all you're doing is pms and repairs how are you ever going to be able to start reliability? So again, I think the way to do that is uh, sometimes you even have to do it under the radar. You know, sometimes you have to just pick a few machines, start trending them, start showing some success. Because again, if you you have to prove it, because just because the CEO mandated it, and just because they say thou shalt have reliability. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of doubters. And so you're going to have to be able to show that success. And the best way to do that is with a small pro pilot program. And, and sometimes you do this without involving a lot of people. But once you show some success, then wave the flag like crazy. Show everybody what, what is happening. 
because once you get some success and you can get some buy-in, then you can get some budget and then you can grow it. And um, the other thing to think about is if you start on a small group of machines and you can show that you've, you've knocked down the repairs, you've knocked down some of the PMs, and once you start finding out that you can reduce PMs and you can reduce repairs, guess what? You just gave yourself a little bit more time to add a few more machines. So it's one of these things where if I can reduce the time that's being taken away from me, I can then use it to try to be more proactive. Excellent. Uh, John, this is a very interesting question. Um, if you want to, to, in order to take full advantage of reliability data and uh, really get actionable results, can you comment on the importance of having a solid maintenance practices, planning, scheduling, execution? You know, what building blocks do you need to already have in place in order to see the most benefit from launching a reliability program? How they kind that's, of work that's, together. That's a great question. Yep, yep, that's a great question. And 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 the, the way I can answer the best way to answer that is is everybody is already on their path or a journey to to uh, to reliability. And some plants are further. Some companies are further along than others. And and some plants um, already have a, a CMMS or an enterprise system and some don't. So I'm not saying that you you need to have, and, and then also keep in mind, some plants already have some vibration equipment and thermography equipment. And so we don't wanna say, hey, you know, we just need to start all over again. What you've been doing is wrong. We need to throw away all your tools. We need to throw away all of your processes. We need to come in with a big enterprise system we need to start in a uh, from scratch and we need to buy all new tools. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is let's figure out where you're at. What tools do you have? What processes do you have? Um, you know, and sometimes companies, um, you know, uh, have a, a CMMS system or an enterprise system and they're not using it. Um, sometimes we just want to start with simple spreadsheets and then work our way up to, uh, you know, uh, dashboards and then work our way up to a CMS system. So there's, there's it, it, again, it depends on where you're at. It depends on what you're used to doing. But I think all of them need, you need some help. You know, you can't do it on your own. And there is no secret formula. There is no black box. There is no silver bullet there is no special formula um, um, so um, again uh, it's best if you have somebody come in and kind of say okay we see where you're at we see what you're doing good we see where you could do some improvement and the name of the game is to make small incremental improvements uh, a little bit at a time um, so that you can say, hey, look, that worked. Let's keep doing this. And John, maybe you can help with uh, our listeners understand you spoke about the importance of, you know, starting small and with a pilot. And um, what about time? How long should people plan if they are going to go about a pilot, as you suggested, and start with a few assets? How long before they can uh, really start to see results that they can then leverage. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, the the real answer again is it depends. But but you know what? I would say a couple of months. You know, so what I typically tell customers to do, uh, what I recommend is that you you pick a small group of machines, and again, don't start with your most complicated machine. Because, and that's what everybody wants to do, is they want to pick the most complicated machine to start with. The problem is, again, you're starting with this and you don't have a lot of knowledge and experience yet. So what I recommend is that you start with uh, 10 or 15 machines. I would say start with simple machines because you're still learning how to do this. 
but that's not saying you don't, you, you know, start with machines that will never show a problem, you know? So you want to start with, with simple machines, but that could, that, that have been showing some problems in the past and try to get a cross section, you know, don't do 10 or 15 of the same machine, maybe do 10 or 15 kind of a cross section of machines, a couple of pumps, a couple of fans, a couple of compressors, and then give it, um, you know, a couple of months, you know, because within a couple of months, if you've picked a good cross section of machines, and, and, and also if you do it in one, one specific area, then, then you can kind of say, this is my pilot room, this is my pilot project, and then when you then after a couple of months you start seeing some results and and you can say look based on our history of what we've seen in these machines in the past look what we've been able to find in just a couple of months now let's take what we've learned and roll that out to the rest of the machines in the plant and again grab another 10 or 15 machines uh so i would say two or three months do 10 or 15 machines uh you know then uh, another 10 or 15 machines. Do this a little bit over a time. And yes, it is going to take you a couple of years to be able to do your own plant. But you know what? Once you do two or three stages of this and people start getting the idea of, hey, look what the success you're having, you're going to get more buy-in. You're going to get more resources. As you start saving time, that means you're freeing up time from people that were doing other things. And so when they start throwing more resources and more budget at it, you can grow it much more rapidly than just 10 or 15 every couple of months. And a related question, um, one of the fears that, uh, that happens is people are worried when technology, new technology comes in, it's going to displace my job. And maybe you can you know, just share some of your experience in that regard. Um, from some of the implementations that you've seen with customers to help allay those fears. Yep, yep, that's a that's that's a great point. What I can what I can tell customers is that what I've what I've lived and what I've experienced is there's no way that these tools or sensors are gonna replace us. They're simply gonna make our jobs easier. So that instead of instead of running around the machine the plant with two fire extinguishers, uh, one on each hip and putting out fires. Now we're going around the plant in a controlled, uh, so we're gonna replace the reactive run around, pulling my hair out of my head type of maintenance with, with trending and controlled uh, uh, proactive maintenance. So, so we're gonna transition from reactive, repairs and unnecessary PMs to a more controlled and, and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, guided um, proactive approach. So it's just doing things smarter and differently, but, but we, we can't get rid of people because over the years, believe me, I think we've probably downsized to a point where we just can't downsize anymore. So the people we have are doing too much, technology is simply gonna be able to, to let us do the things that we haven't been able to do because we don't have all the labor we had back in the 60s and 70s. Definitely. And one final question is, uh, you mentioned how important um, alignment, misalignment is, you know, to diagnose. And can you just reiterate for our listeners if uh, the best technologies for, um, detecting kind of if that's such a common problem detection of misalignment uh can you just do a quick recap on how you on the technologies that help you detect and correct misalignment yes yes so 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 the best technologies to to find there there's actually two methods one method is to use vibration analysis and so by vibration analysis we're going to be able to find the patterns that would indicate misalignment. Um, another way you could do it is you could just go through and check the alignment on all of your critical machines. And I have customers do that as well. 
you know, it all, it's kind of the chicken or the egg approach. You know, do we start by finding out what our problems are or do we just go through and align everything so at least we have a baseline of machines being healthy? So again, I would say use the some, some modern vibration testers that are gonna be able to diagnose the faults for you easily and then use modern laser shaft alignment tools that that take you that make it easy for you to do quick and precise laser shaft alignments on hundreds of machines, not really, you know, not, you know, not not just a few machines. Excellent. Well, John, we could uh, we could continue for a long time and uh, uh, you're such a wealth of knowledge, but we are at the top of the hour. So I would like to uh, go ahead and thank everyone and thank you, John, for presenting. Uh, this was really wonderful material. And thanks to our listeners for suggesting this topic so that we can you know, get people on our staff have so much knowledge like John and others to present. And um, thanks for taking the time to be with us. There will be, uh, uh, we will be sending you a copy of the presentation. Look for that follow-up email coming out by early next week. And when we end the webinar, uh, there will be a brief survey where you can suggest future topics. Uh, that's how today's topic came about. And that's also how uh, this next topic came about. That was based on uh, your request. We'll be talking about alignment, but not only alignment, what happens after. So be looking for an announcement of that as well in the follow-up email. And so again, thanks to, to John. And thanks to our listeners and thanks to the whole Fluke Reliability team working behind the scenes to bring you these topics. Uh, have a great day and we'll see you on the next webinar. Thank you all. Thank you.